0: In today's episode, we will be discussing 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're in the section of verses 18 to 20, the end of chapter 1. In our last episode, we looked at verse 18, and as we said that we are examining this idea of recognizing the importance of the gospel, uh, we saw first of all in verse 18, the gospel has been entrusted to us. Well, now as we move on to the first part of verse 19, we learn this, that the gospel is valuable. The gospel is valuable. So let's just read this as a whole. Verse 18, Paul writes this This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Here it is, verse 19 holding faith and a good conscience. That's what we're going to look at right now holding faith and a good conscience. So the gospel is valuable. Holding faith. Let's take a look at this phrase here we easily identify the gospel and what is necessary at the time of our salvation it seems that it is only later in life when we've had time to grow complacent and the gospel has grown commonplace that we begin to doubt and allow other destructive teachings to creep in want you to think about that holding faith that's something that we all have because it's absolutely a prerequisite it is fundamental to the faith you cannot uh fundamental to the faith i'm being redundant uh, but to the gospel to what salvation is you have to have faith okay you have to believe uh, that jesus is the christ the son of the living god you have to believe that and that in believing in him you'll have life in his name uh you know acts 4:12 there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved do you think about that right uh, so you have to have faith at the beginning. No one argues that, but the fact that he says here holding faith means that one of the pathways to discarding, uh, Christianity and that relationship and, and walking away from the gospel is to not maintain your faith, right? Uh, you have faith at the beginning. No one has to urge you to have that, but you do have to hold on to it later. Think about that. It's, uh, you know, when I contemplate these things, it makes a big impact on me because a lot of the people that I've seen walk away from Christianity don't do so initially. They do it later in life when they grow complacent, when the gospel becomes commonplace, when they are not doing things to nurture their faith and strengthen their faith, which is going to look like, you know, consistent devotions and prayer time and a consistent fellowship with other believers. You need that time with believers. You need to be in corporate worship. You need to be singing together. You need to be giving to the Lord. And you know every time we give unto the Lord, and I'm talking about our tithes and offerings, every time we do that, we are exercising faith. We are reminding ourselves that everything we have materially around us is from God and we remind ourselves of that on a regular basis, whether you do it weekly or monthly or bi-monthly, depending on how often you get paid or whatever it is, we should be giving God the first fruits of all of our increase because it, it all belongs to him. And it's a reminder to us that we serve the true and living God who is the creator of all things, who owns all things. He owns us. He gave us everything that we have, and we have to remind ourselves of that on a regular basis. Well, you stop doing any of those things and you're setting yourself up for a recipe for disaster spiritually, you stop giving, you stop going to church, you stop reading your Bible, you stop praying, Uh, you're now not holding the faith, you're not exercising the faith, okay? It, It seems then that there is an element where we need to be continually reminded of what we would consider foundational truth. You know, you say, well, I know what the gospel is that you can't have salvation other apart from Jesus Christ. I know that I don't need, I don't need that. Well, you actually do. You need it all the time. You need it constantly. And it's like the hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. We are prone to do those things to abandon the gospel. And if we don't daily affirm the gospel, we are setting ourselves up for failure So the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the elements of the gospel, they need to be repeated and taught and heard over and over and over again. When we stop hearing the gospel, when we stop saying it, then we are in danger of no longer believing it. And so all of those elements come back. So we recognize just how valuable it is because it's something that you hang on to. By the way, look at the picture here, holding faith. Okay, holding faith and holding a good conscious. That verb holding governs both of those those direct objects, faith and a good conscious. When you're holding something or you're, you're clinging to or you're you're hanging on to something, uh whether it's here twofold, faith and a good conscious, which we'll get to in a second, you think of the fact that you're holding on to something that that necessarily means that that thing that you're holding on to has value. It is inherently valuable. And you look to the Scriptures and you recognize that when the Scriptures begin to speak about what God offers us through His Word, and His Word articulates the Gospel, especially in the New Testament, through Jesus Christ, the the Bible says that this is more valuable than, than great wealth. It's more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than many precious stones, right? So there is nothing more valuable than the gospel. And when you have something of value, you want to hang on to it. You know, it's, it's that kind of age old question that, you know, you, your house is on fire, your home, and it's all of a sudden just burning very quickly. You know, you've got just minutes to get out. What are you going to grab on your way out the door? You know, obviously children, if you have them or whatnot, but if you have your chance to to take just a couple things, uh, maybe one trip back into the house while it's, you know, getting engulfed in flames and you're going to go for that one, what is it that you're going to go for? Chances are that thing that you're going to go for, and, and it may be different for some people, but has value, Okay. Uh, I'm not talking necessarily monetary value, although it might, maybe you have something that's extremely valuable in a monetary sense, but it has great value to you. I know my wife and I have talked about this in the past and for her, it's going to be the things that are irreplaceable. You know, most of the things that we have around our house are replaceable but things that aren't are going to be the family photos and the memories and those type of things so where wherever we have those stored you know a lot of it's digitized now we're going to be grabbing that computer or that hard drive and we're going to be yanking that out because if we lose that we lose you know all those files and so you know it has value but the point is is the thing that's valuable you guard you safekeep and you recognize its value And you hang on to it. You know, I can lose everything else, but I don't want to lose that. Well, when it comes to the gospel, how do you view it? Are you willing to lose it? Or are you willing to lose everything else in order to keep the gospel? That's a fair question. So the first thing that you have to hold on to that tenaciously is faith. We're told in the scriptures, the way in which we are saved, continue to walk in him, right? And so we are saved by faith. We continue to walk by faith. And so we're told to hang on to faith. Now, remember what the scriptures say about faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we have that initially, just as we discussed at uh, the first moments of salvation, because God grants that to us. But we need to maintain that faith. Uh, and so as you receive Christ Jesus, as Lord, so walk in him, uh, we, we continue to hang on to that and we treat faith, not just the gospel, but faith as something that's very valuable. Do you still have faith or do you let your faith wane in order to, you, you know, and now the question is going to come very practically, how do I, how do I actively uh, demonstrate, uh, and exercise, a living faith that can continually be strengthened well it's going to be through the affirmation of things that are invisible right Uh, we we say that again faith is the assurance of things hoped for the evidence or conviction of things not seen and so we look at what god says that he has done and there's an invisible nature to it or aspect to it right uh we do know that from a standpoint of general revelation we can walk outside and see evidence that god created okay but there's nothing we can put in a laboratory now that, that's to me that's a softball but you still need to go out and make sure that you're actively doing that on a daily basis so i walk outside and every day i need to affirm when I look at the trees around me and when I look up at the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars and I see the clouds in the sky and I behold the, you know, creation all around me, I live in a coastal city. Uh, we make it to the beach <laughs> once in a while, not as often as we'd like, <laughs> you know, sidebar. We thought that we'd go a lot more once we moved to, you know, to a coastal city as the crow flies, we live 12 miles from the beach and, uh, you know, we thought we'd make it there once a month. Um, we don't even make it there once a month, it's just a handful of times, maybe throughout the year. It's just, it's crazy. Unless you actually live there on the beach, you probably don't end up going there all that often. Anyway, sidebar, right? So getting back to this, why do I bring that up? Every time I'm at the ocean uh, and, and I really mean this every single time I always go back to Job 38, uh, you know, and this is, uh, I believe this is the section of Job where God is speaking to Job. And he's telling him all the things that he does. And, you know, does Job have an answer for this? And of course, Job doesn't. But one of the things that God says to Job is that he sets a barrier for the sea. And he says, you know, can you do this, Job? Can you tell the waves thus far you shall go and no further? And it's really incredible when you think about it. And of course, people are like, well, what about a tidal wave and things like that? Yeah, but eventually, you know, you might have a rogue wave or a tidal wave because of a earthquake or something like that, but uh, the water recedes after that calamity and it goes right back to where it was supposed to. And God's the one who holds it at bay. He, he says to the waves, thus far you shall go and no farther. Now, the godless have come up with theories about that and God does use physics and, and things like that But at the end of the day, because God is the creator, He's the one who holds all of creation in His hand, and He's the one who keeps it going, right? Our heart would not beat another beat if it were not for God's sustaining of our life. We could not draw another breath, uh, except that God gives us the ability to, and God keeps the right mixture of everything in the air. The air is not nothing. You know, I've taking enough science classes and, and things like that to recognize that the air is not nothing. It's actually a a chemical soup, if you will, that is just the right blend and mixture for us to sustain our lives. So what if our lungs worked and our heart was working and everything, and all of a sudden God just said, well, you know, I'm not going to keep the air mixed the, (laughs) the way that it always has been. And all of a sudden the air is toxic and we can't breathe it anymore. Well, there, there it goes. Right. And so when we think about that, even if science can explain certain aspects, the, you know, the beginning cause of every, of all of creation is God himself. And so you can explain the tides by the lunar cycles and, you know, the moon's proximity to the earth and, and that affects tides. And that's why we have King tides and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's not the moon. The moon is part of the, God's creation. But the reason that the oceans are where they are today is because, you know, at one point, remember God had deep, vast reservoirs in the, in the deep, uh, you know, within the crust or the mantle of the earth. And we're told in the book of Genesis that he released those when he flooded the world. And only recently in the last couple of years, scientists have just now discovered that, you know, the composition of what lies below the surface of the earth was always speculation, as best guess, and now they've discovered direct evidence of these vast reservoirs of fresh water that they are saying are bigger, uh, you know, in a volume sense than the ocean. You know, so the ocean's all this, this uh, salt water, but far below the Earth's surface, now we have these vast reservoirs of water that are even more than, than the ocean's. Okay, we don't have time to get into all that, but a lot of people have done a lot of work on that in recent you know, years. I think creation.com has done some things on that and potentially other organizations like Answers in Genesis or Institute of Creation Research. Uh, you know, I think that y- you can find some good resources on that. But the point is, remember this, you know, the world was covered in water. And then after God's objective was completed, then he commanded the waters to recede. He's the one who closed off the heavens, but he also is the one who sent the waters back into those vast reservoirs. And then he shut them up in the world, you know, in in the earth's, uh, you know, mantle or uh, the core, isn't it? Not the core. I, you know, I'm not a geologist. I'm sorry. So it's not off the top of my head, but I believe it's below the crust. Uh, So it must be in the mantle somewhere, uh, somewhere in that very, you know, vicinity. But the point is, the oceans of the world would not keep their barriers. You know, people build right on the ocean, regardless of all the climate alarmism that's going on. Uh, oh, and another side note, I guess I'm full of side bars today, okay? But the, the richest people in the world, the ones who are crying the loudest about climate alarmism, if it were true that we were in great peril of our oceans rising and all of a sudden all the coastlines of the world disappearing in the next few years... Uh, we should probably ask ourselves the question why the richest people in the world uh, want people away from the coast. Uh, that one's pretty obvious to me, uh, but why they themselves are actually building right on the water. Uh, just go look at some of the richest people in the world and where some of their homes are. And we're talking recently, not not 20 years ago, we're talking just in the last couple of years, they're buying ocean property and building incredible mansions on them. Well, clearly they don't believe what they're telling us to believe. Uh, because they don't believe that their home is in that kind of peril. So that's an interesting one, right? So we all of that to say, bringing it back full circle, we can exercise faith when we step outside and look at creation around us and affirm on a daily basis God made this. When we look up on a sunny day and we see the sun in the sky, God made the sun, He put it there. We look out at nighttime and we see the stars come out and we look at the constellations. God's the one who put those there. He knows the name of every single one. And that includes all the ones that we haven't even discovered yet. Every year with the improving of technology, we discover new solar systems and new stars and new planets. And we're like, wow, we've never seen that before. And God put it there and he already gave it a name. (laughs) Uh, That's exercising faith. And then part of that isn't just that God is creator, but what else is invisible? Uh, you know, God himself is invisible, but uh, the things that we know about God, that he's holy and because he's holy, he can't let anything sinful into his presence. These are things that we have to affirm by faith. It's because the scripture tells us that that's not empirical. We can't uh, produce that in a laboratory, but then also what do we see around us? I'm not sinless. I have to affirm that every day. That's going to help me strengthen my faith that I am sinful just like the scriptures say that I am, that God is sinless and that the only way to bridge the gap so that I can come into the presence of God is to have my sin removed. And the only way that's possible is for Jesus Christ to have removed it. That's a simple thing that we can do every single day and that will help you hold the faith. What else do you need to hold? Not just the faith, but you need to hold a good conscience. Okay, and just like we said before, uh and qualified that then that means that that this is something that you deem is valuable faith is valuable now secondly a good conscience is valuable right so we're just looking at these first two <laughs> phrases here uh it, it literally is just six words in the english holding faith and a good conscience. um what is a good conscious well as we think about this okay you're conscious can be at ease when you are in agreement with God's revelation. One might deceive themselves when they pervert the gospel and lead others astray, but the definition of a good conscience is one that is in line with God's thoughts. You don't need to make up a story. It doesn't change with society like humanistic thought. You simply look to God's word. So the question you have to ask yourself if you're going to hold a good conscience is, am I having to make things up? Am I trying to keep my story straight? Or am I just saying when I say of God and you know, things that are eternal in nature and the human soul and the human condition and the future of this earth and the future of humanity and what happens and the big existential questions, the life's big questions. What happens when I die? Is this all there is? These are the questions that people ask. If you're trying to just keep a story straight, then you're not holding a good conscience. Holding a good conscience says God has answered all those things. What happens when people die? Well, I can tell you, I don't have to make it up. The judgment happens. It's appointed after, or it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment, what judgment is that? Well, I don't have to make that up either. I just go to Revelation chapter 20, right? Uh, you know, is this all there is? I can answer that too. I don't have to make that up. I just go to God's word and I say what God's word says. This isn't all there is this world has gone on for a long time, but not forever. In fact, we have an answer for that in Second Peter. You know, mockers and scoffers come in and make that accusation. And they're forgetting one thing, that the world used to go on as it was until God just interrupted everything with a global flood. So that's part of, like, maintaining the faith that we just talked about, right? We affirm that there's evidence of a global flood all around the world. So it it hasn't gone on forever and nor will it because we're also told in God's word again, you know, this isn't just going to go on for, for millions and billions of years. Uh, You know, there's all sorts of things laden with that comment. But the fact of the matter is, is, you know, God has told us that he is again going to destroy this earth and we are told exhaustively in scripture, not just in second Peter You know, second Peter says, well, he did it first time by water. This next time he's going to do it by fire. Okay. Yeah. But we have a whole lot of information about how that's going to come. Uh, We have, you know, the book of revelation that talks about that. Uh, We also have passages in Joel. We have passages in Isaiah. We have passages in Ezekiel and Jeremiah that, uh, talk about this. We have Daniel that, you know, gives, uh, I- insight into this in the book of Zechariah as well. And what we're talking about is this next event that's going to happen on the earth, uh, you know, is the judgment of God, uh, the day of Jacob's troubles, Jacob's sorrows, right? This is the wrath of God being poured out on the world. And it was poured out once before in Genesis chapters six through nine or six through eight. Uh, but it's coming again, And God tells us about that. And so we don't have to make that up. I, you know, I don't have to like check and say, well, what did I say last time? Can you remind me of that? No, I, as long as I'm familiar with the word of God and I'm staying true to the word of God, then I am holding a good conscience. I'm holding fast to that. So I always want to make sure that my thoughts with regard to my worldview, how I perceive the world around me, how I answer the existential questions, how I discuss things with people. Are you one who's willing to compromise your theology just to make somebody feel better? Somebody's really struggling with something and they're struggling with an idea about who God is and how he operates, or they just can't stomach the idea that, you know, this brother of theirs who died unexpectedly in a tragic accident was ripped away from us way too soon. We We hear stories like this all the time. And when they're confronted with the reality of the gospel... You know, initially you'll hear a comment like, "Oh, he's in a better place." I've been to funerals and I've heard things like that. And without qualification, uh that statement really doesn't stand on its own. You're just assuming he's in an, in a better place uh, on what basis? I can say at the funeral of a believer that they are in a better place. And I don't just say that for comfort's sake. I say that on the authority of scripture. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for the believer, okay? So I can say that, but I can't say that for ever, everybody. Now, I remember a few years ago having an opportunity to sit down with somebody and really go through the gospel in great detail with them. And it's not that they didn't really understand the gospel, but they, they, they did know enough to be saved, but they didn't truly understand just how exclusive the gospel was and its implications. And at the end of this discussion that had spanned a a few weeks, you know, where we had met once a week and talked about these things, they realized one of the big issues for them was the death, the sudden tragic death of a family member. And they had always comforted themselves with the idea that as awful as it was to lose this family member, adult, but young adult, right. um, That they were going to be in heaven. Well, after doing an in-depth study of the gospel, I remember this man came to me and said, if this is what the gospel is, then my brother is not in heaven because he never made a confession that sounded anything like this. And you know, that's not me talking, that's the scripture talking. He really, really struggled with that. But because, and I saw that he was struggling with that, does that mean that we change what the gospel is by definition? Well, no, we don't. Of course we can't. If you're going to hold a good conscience then you have to say what the Word of God says. Why? Because holding faith and holding a good conscience demonstrates that we believe, and I believe the Scripture teaches this, that the gospel itself is valuable of infinite worth. All right, and that's where we're going to leave it today, just looking at those six words. But we just, we learned that the gospel itself is valuable, and I hope that you can come away from this recognizing that it is infinitely valuable. We'll pick up the text with the second part of verse 19 and verse 20 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.